Take your Bibles this evening and go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and I didn't say my usual line that I normally do. I was getting made fun of on Facebook. Uh, I think I need to change my sermon because apparently I say some things a lot and uh, have a few habits that are out there and everybody was nailing me for them, especially my wife. I mean, how, how about that? Now, I'm going to be all sensitive tonight, and if I'm stuttering through this message and not able to talk, it's because I'm trying to fix all my bad habits that everybody pointed out in one night, so I'm a little sensitive tonight. No, I'm just kidding. I know I do some of that stuff. I, I try to work on it. I thought about starting out tonight with a well, amen, um, and I got that. There was a preacher uh, that was at my dad's church at a whole revival meeting, and I was like looking for a sermon, so I was starting the beginning of all the sermons. And every single sermon started out with, well, amen. Every single sermon. And it was, it was kind of funny. Now, anytime I hear him preach, and that's what he does every time. And it kind of cracks me up. But that's what I get for making fun of it. Uh, now, i got people in my own church, my own wife, making fun of me. But anyway, we'll work on some of those things. <laughs> Acts chapter 15, I am not going to mention from the pulpit what they are. Because then everybody else will start noticing these things too. But Acts chapter 15, y'all are lucky I've got thick skin and y'all be getting your eyes nailed to the wall tonight. But Acts 15 and verse 1, and I want you to pay very close attention in this sermon because I'm really anxious to get to chapter 21. There's, been, there's some stuff that I want to cover in chapter 21, and much of what we are going to see here in chapter 15 will help us understand what we see going on in chapter 21, because I'm going to make some pretty big claims about some things in chapter 21 that if you only hear me preach on chapter 21, you'd be like, ah, you might be stretching that a little bit. But some of the things we're going to see here in chapter 15 back that up. So everybody pay very close attention, and you all need to remember everything I say six weeks from now uh, when we get to chapter 21. But anyway, so verse 1 uh, says... And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And if you remember last week, they finished their first missionary journey and they ended up back in Antioch. Uh, where they had started. And understand this church in Antioch is one that's going to have a bunch of Gentile Christians in it. And so now, all of a sudden, we've got men from Judea that are coming, where they're from a church, the, from, they are from the church in Jerusalem, we're going to see. And the church in Jerusalem, while they knew about the Gentiles coming to Christ, because in Acts chapter 11, you know, they heard about it. All of a sudden, they're hearing Gentiles are receiving the Holy Ghost just like us, and people question that. People had Some people kind of had a problem with that. But the apostles, they all came together. They looked at the Scriptures, and the apostles all agreed. This is of God. But understand, while the church in Jerusalem had accepted this truth, this wasn't something they had really seen for themselves because Jerusalem is primarily all Jews, and their church there is primarily Jews. And we're going to see, too, even up to chapter 21, they still are very attached to the temple. And I'm telling you right now, 
They weren't supposed to be. They did not know this yet. But one thing we are going to see, and we're going to see evidence of this tonight, the church in Jerusalem had some big problems. And it's hard for people to accept that sometimes because we see what was going on in Pentecost and we're like, man, this is great. This is exciting. I mean, this is the church that sent out the apostles. This is the church that started this great work. But let me tell you something. A lot of years have passed and heresy always tries creeping in. And I'm telling you, this church in Jerusalem at this point clearly has major problems. And we see here that these men that were from Judea, they what they came in with is a horrible heresy that Paul addressed in detail in the book of Galatians where they were literally teaching a works salvation. Big time. They said you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. This was wrong. Paul and Barnabas, they immediately are withstanding these guys. They are arguing with them. And, you know, what we have here is the, an example of the first heresy trying to make its way into the church as a whole. And this started, uh, this false doctrine, it started with one particular group, but you know what? They tried spreading it. And that's what people always do with their false doctrines. You want to know what a lot of heretics do in IFB churches? They end up becoming evangelists so they can go and preach their foolish heresy all the time. That's why there's so many Ruckmanites pastor for a while and then decided to go into evangelism. Why? So they can spread their heresy all over the place. And let me tell you, this heresy of work salvation, I preached a sermon a long time ago called the oldest heresy and basically talking about how work salvation is the oldest heresy. It goes all the way back to Cain. This, this heresy has always been around and it always will be around. It just gets repackaged. Back then it was circumcision. You know, now, it, you know, they'll just come up, you know, they'll say baptism you know, they'll say, you know, communion, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can make it any work you want. It has the same result. You're going to go to hell. No matter what work you pick, work salvation does not work. And we all know that. But this is the first time they're seeing it in their church. And this one's deceptive too, because the circumcision was a major, major thing among the Jews. And I mean, God instituted it all the way back in Genesis 17 with Abraham. And this is something that they actually did a pretty good job of following. So all of a sudden, you know, so the thing is, this would be a hard thing for them to let go of. And when all their people that they worshiped with all practiced this for a long time and were continuing to practice it, even after the resurrection of Christ, when these Gentiles come in, you know, it's not a shock that a lot of them thought, you know what, these people need to be circumcised too. But Paul and Barnabas, uh, they, they knew they didn't give them, they didn't buy into this for one second. So here's a big question. Based on Acts chapter 15, were these men saved or were they just confused? You know, or were they just flat out lost? Okay. Now I want you to turn over to Galatians 2 and I want you to keep your Bibles open in Galatians 2 because basically, you know, you've got to remember, when we're reading the book of Acts, it's just kind of giving us a basic summary of events. It's just telling us what happened. But here in Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul, he goes into a little more detail about this very event here. So we're going to, we can learn some facts from Galatians 2 that we don't know for sure just from reading Acts chapter 15. But it says in verse 1, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. 
And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. I wish I had time to talk about that verse right there, but we might talk about that when we get to chapter 21. But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. These are those men from Judea. Paul said they were false brethren. They crept in unawares and they came to them in Antioch to spy out their liberty. These guys were looking to nail them with something, to accuse them of something. And let me tell you something. We're going to see this. That church in Jerusalem, they were... They had a lot of problems and they didn't like Paul very much. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. There, there's a lot of, I want to try to get to, so I've got to try this. I've got a lot of pages of notes up here. I'm just going to warn everybody. So I'm going to try to get through it quick tonight. But it says, um, so to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference adding nothing to, added nothing to me. And basically what he means, those who seem to be somewhat like those who seem to be somebody special. He's like, it doesn't matter, I don't care who they were. You know what, God doesn't respect persons, neither do I. They were wrong. These guys might have been higher-ups, people might have respected them in Judea, but you know what, they were wrong, and I don't care who they were. It doesn't matter. It, it shouldn't matter who's preaching the heresy. We ought to have a problem with heresy. And the Apostle Paul withstood these guys, and rightfully so. So, and so we see in Acts that they decided, all right, we've got a problem here. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Let's get the apostles together, and let's get this thing figured out. Do we need to require these Gentiles to be circumcised after the law of Moses? And so, verse three, and being brought on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And it's important that we understand all these things that are happening with Gentiles. Again, this is new to the church. This is not something they've seen before. And even though they had heard about it a long time ago, they have not observed it. They've not seen it with their own eyes. They've not seen how God's changed these people's lives and how they're serving the Lord. They're still very attached to a lot of traditions that needed to go away. They don't fully understand that yet. And understand, too, this church has false brethren in it, clearly. False brethren who seem to be somewhat people who are in leadership. This church in Jerusalem had a lot of problems and they really manifest themselves in chapter 21 with some of the things we're going to see that were going on there. But verse 5, But there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, what does this passage mean? Because it says it was a sect of the Pharisees which believe. So doesn't this make it sound like they were saved? So does this passage mean they were believers who believed in keeping the law of Moses to be saved? Or was it a sect of Pharisees 
that believed you must keep the law of Moses to be saved. You know, so, you know, are they saved? Are they not saved? Um, you know, and while I believe it is possible that this particular sect could have been corrupted from the simplicity in Christ, that's, that's possible, you know, but they, they also could have been false brethren. The big question is, what, here, here's the big question. Anytime a false doctrine comes up, what do the people do when you show them the truth? Because the first time some, you know, there's a lot of things. The first time somebody hears it, if they haven't been taught, they, you know, it might not set with them right at first, especially depending on what their background is. But the question is, what, how do people respond when you show them the truth? It doesn't matter to me. You know, sometimes you talk to people, especially when you're out soul and you talk to them at the door and you say, you believe there's anything you can do to lose your salvation. It's like, oh yeah, you know, obviously we did some really bad sin, but then, you know, it's like, oh man, they're not saved. But well, maybe they've never been challenged on this before. So, you know, what you need to do, show them what the Bible says. And, you know, and sometimes they, sometimes it's because they weren't saved, but a lot of times I've talked to people, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're right. I believe that, you know, you got to remember people aren't always ready to answer questions they're not trained in these things you know somebody says something wrong about the trinity you know don't throw them in hell right away you know what you do you know you give them a couple admonitions and if they continue to reject it then it's probably because they're saved but you got to give people a chance so uh you know because here's the thing too you know after they were shown the truth we're going to see this church did accept the truth. But here's the thing. Did they fully accept it? Or did they just go along to get along? And sometimes people do that too. Sometimes there's people that sit in churches. Okay, fine. This is what the church believes. Yeah, fine. I believe that too. But you need to make sure you really understand this. You need to make sure you've really gotten a hold of this. You've internalized this. Otherwise, one of these days, some false prophet's going to come along and they're going to throw you off. So we got to understand there's always going to be people that come into church that will, on the surface, accept certain teachings, but it's not internalized. So the leaders here, the apostles, that we know they were saved, they got this thing right. And while the multitude goes along and submits to what they say, it doesn't mean that they all truly believed it. And that's why it's important, too, you know, we're thorough in teaching these things, because the more truth you teach... If people aren't accepting it, eventually they're going to get uncomfortable and they're either going to get right or they're going to get out. And you know what? If they're not going to get right, they need to get out. Otherwise, we're going to have a lot of leaven in the church and it's going to grow and it's going to spread and we're going to be doing dumb stuff like they did in Acts chapter 21. So we got to watch out for that. And so uh, verse 6 says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. So remember, none of the New Testament has been written yet, except possibly the book of James. And I'm, not, and I'm not even sure that that book has been written yet. But it is somewhat understandable how some just probably haven't been challenged on this yet. And I, do, I believe someone can be saved that hasn't been thoroughly taught certain aspects of the gospel. You know, it, it, they, that person might get confused on a subject. But if they are really saved... I do believe when shown the truth from the scriptures, they will fully accept things like eternal security. And it won't happen overnight. And they might ex not accept it too when the first person that comes to them is some crazed, you know, foaming at the mouth, lunatic, telling them that they're not saved. 
You know, you know, there's there's people who are horrible representatives of truth, and they turn they turn a lot of people they confuse a lot of people. So uh, I don't believe they they just clearly haven't been challenged on this yet. So verse seven says, and when there had been much disputing, so notice this, they are at the church in Jerusalem, and all right, we're gonna have a discussion. Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? There's a lot of disputing going on. You know what that tells me? People weren't agreeing. There's, there's division over this. And then it says, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So again, we can't just declare everyone unsaved because there was a big dispute amongst the leaders in the church. But I do think it's an indicator this church had some pretty big problems. And it is, it is of utmost importance that we take note of some major problems with this church in Jerusalem. Because if we do not take these things into consideration, you're going to get confused later on in the book of Acts. And I have seen people even recently teach some very foolish stuff. I mean, even justifying things like Hanukkah based on things we see in Acts chapter 21. And it's like, first off, if you're going to use Acts 21 to justify Hanukkah, you've got to be really digging and searching hard to even think to go to that passage. But, you know, it, the truth is, when you do a full study of the book of Acts and understand what was going on, you understand, you'll, you'll realize that was really, that's really dumb to use that to justify doing any of the weird Jewish stuff the Hebrew roots people are doing. So, Peter again, he mentions how God used him to reveal that the Gentiles could be saved. I always like to throw that at dispensationalists who act like Peter and Paul had different Gospels and Paul's our, our apostle and all that kind of stuff. Peter did, had to work with the Gentiles too. God started it with Peter. And so verse 8, And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And we're going to see later too that the, the church in Jerusalem... The church in Jerusalem was still, in chapter 21, putting a difference between saved Jews and saved Gentiles. They were still doing it in chapter 21, even though Peter said God put no difference between us and them. But sure enough, they did, and they almost got Paul killed. The Jews, not necessarily the saved ones, but the other Jews almost got Paul killed for basically advancing a rumor that the saved Jews were telling about Paul in the church in Jerusalem. So, the, that, I'm telling you, that church had a lot of problems. And so, in Acts 10, Peter, that was when he learned that God doesn't see Jew and Gentile different. Both are sinners. Both need a Savior. So, verse 10, he says, Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? This is proof no one ever got saved by works. Just that one work. It was, it was one work. You know, and you know why? Even though it was one work, nobody's ever able to do it. Because Paul makes it clear in Galatians that if, you, if your salvation is by the law, you're bound to keep the entire law. So Peter understands that. So he tells them, we weren't able to keep the law. Why are we asking them to do it? Our fathers couldn't keep the law. No one ever got saved by works. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. 
So Peter's got it right. Verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So Peter, after he speaks up, because he is, he's a leader. He's got respect in this church. So even the false brethren, they knew, and Peter spoke, we better shut up for a little bit. So everybody gets quiet, and now they hear Paul and Barnabas. They proceed to tell them, hey, this is what's happening in Gentile areas. These are the miracles that God is doing. These people are just as saved as we are. God is doing signs and wonders. Great things are happening. These people are preaching the truth. And this was probably the first time many of those saved Jews had heard about what was going on with Gentiles from an eyewitness. So, again, these things, we take it all for granted. You know, they didn't have YouTube back then. They couldn't post videos and do Facebook posts sharing their soul winning marathon results and things like that that everybody could rejoice over. They, they depended on word of mouth. Things did, and news was a lot slower spreading. And so hearing it from these eyewitnesses, it would have had an impact on them. And so, um, after, so again, so Peter calms everyone down. Paul and Barnabas tell them what's going on. And then James gets involved. Now, before we uh, cover the re- what James says, it's important that we understand a few things about James because he's going to be key when we get to Acts chapter 21. Now, James is known historically as the first bishop of the church of Jerusalem. He was basically the pastor of that first church. And, and according to history, you know, the other, the other apostles, they did, they kind of put him, they kind of appointed him. You're the bishop. And while most of them traveled and went around preaching the gospel places, James stayed there and he was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And it's clear from the scriptures, he was a major figure in Jerusalem. We're not going to go to all the references to him, but the way it always references him too. And the way he's often singled out kind of gives a strong indicator that he was of great importance at that church in Jerusalem. And it's very clear too, after he gets up and speaks, everybody kind of falls in line. And of course he does. He backs up what the other apostles are saying. And so there is nothing in the Bible that is said that indicates history is wrong. And what they say about James, they refer to him as James the just or uh, he's was or James the less. Um, and uh, everything in the Bible that you see makes it appear that the historians have this right that he was the first pastor. But I'm going to tell you, too, James had a tough job pastoring that church in Jerusalem because it did. It had some issues. And this was a big church, too. All right, We're not going to be mean to James, but he had, he had a rough job. We'll, we'll say more about that here in a little bit. But listen to verse 13. Let's hear what James has to say. So it says, After they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to disagree the words of the prophets as it is written saying what these guys are telling you what's happening is exactly what was prophesied in the Bible. Now, again, James hasn't read dispensational truth yet and, you know, learn about this future restoration 2000 years later of Israel. And listen to what he says, okay? Now, this is not a real familiar passage that he quotes, but it says in verse 16, after this, he's quoting scripture, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, 
that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. This was always God's plan to go to the Gentiles. That's what James said. It was always God's plan to go to the Gentiles. Paul taught that, but it was hidden. It was not revealed, even though it was in the Scriptures. We've talked a lot about that. But what was this passage that James quoted? Because James is saying what is happening right now with the Gentiles is a fulfillment of a prophecy. And that prophecy is in Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. It says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name saith the Lord that doeth this. Okay, now if I was a Ruckmanite numerologist type, uh, I could really get a good sermon out of this because you know in the Satanist world, they always invert everything, right? Amos 9-11. It's all about building up a tower. But what did they do on 9-11? Took one down. You know, that's kind of a coincidence, ain't it? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm just having fun with you there. Obviously, I don't believe that. It just shows how satanic that attack was that happened that day. But no, but actually, with the, you know, here's the thing, funny thing about this passage here. You go on eSword, okay, they have their little, uh, you know, notes even that are in there. You know what it says right before 9-11? It says the restoration of Israel. They say this is a prophecy about the restoration of Israel. You know, the dispensationists will look at this and say this is a passage about the restoration of Israel, meaning something that's coming in the future. In the Schofield notes, you got a Schofield Bible, turn to page 940 in your Schofield Bible. You know what it says? Future kingdom blessing, the Lord's return and the reestablishment of the Davidic monarchy. And then right after verse 12, it says, full kingdom blessing of restored Israel. So notice how in the dispensational world or the Schofieldites of the world, they all use Amos to prove God's not done with Israel. But you know what James said? God did it. Because guess what? God did restore Israel when God saved them from their sins. It's not his fault that not all Jews accepted him, but a multitude, thousands were saved in Israel. A remnant, according to the election of Christ, they're all still talking about the remnant. No, there was a remnant back then. And God chose also that He was going to take out a people too from the Gentiles that were going to be included with this. And James said, it's happened. What Amos prophesied has been fulfilled. This is what these guys are talking about. This is what God said He was going to do. So the dispensationists are all saying, this is still coming in the future. These people think God's done with Israel. Look what it says there in Amos chapter 9. Well, look what it says in Acts chapter 15. It already happened. But you know what? They're still waiting for it to happen again with the synagogue of Satan. We're saying, no, it happened already with Israel, with the remnant, according to the election of grace. Well, about the rest of them? Broken off. That's what, ha that's what happened to the rest of them. They were broken off. So, um, 
This is very interesting what they do with that. So verse 19. So that's just kind of something you can take notes of there. Just to show that they don't understand Bible prophecy. There are so many things that they are still looking to be fulfilled that have already been fulfilled. And, but they're, they're missing that because they, uh, Darby, Larkin, and Schofield. First, so this was God's plan. It was hidden in the past. So, uh, verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Mo- Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue. And so what James is basically ta- saying is like, listen, we are not going to require these people to be circumcised. You don't get saved by that. Okay. Now he did say, we are going to give commands. We're going to give instructions for these members of a church that they will abstain from fornication and things strangled and blood. Now, these were not requirements for salvation, but they were requirements for a church. You know what this was? They were setting some standards. They were setting some standards. They weren't adding to the gospel. They weren't being legalistic. But you know what they want? They didn't want to be an offense to the Jews that were in all these other cities. Because it's like, listen, this is fantastic that all these Gentiles are getting saved. But James, who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and is ministering to Jews, who is commissioned to go to the, to the circumcision, he also still cares about the Jews that are in all these other cities. So he's like, listen, if we're, if we're going to reach these people, they can't, we don't want their introduction to followers of Christ to be a bunch of people that are committing fornication and just doing disgusting things like eating blood and stuff like that. So they were just giving some commands for the church. They were just kind of setting some standards because they didn't want to be an offense because these people, these Jews that were in these synagogues were reading Moses every Sabbath day. We saw how they were doing that earlier. And so they're reading these laws that you know obviously don't save you, but then there's a whole bunch of guys over there violating these laws. They're not going to listen to them. So this is just kind of common sense. This is kind of you know how we are when we're just telling people, hey, you know what? Don't act like an animal. You know what? When you go to work, don't be out there cussing like a sailor. We're not telling you you lose your salvation, but we're telling you you'll be a sorry witness. You know, don't be doing things that are just foolish, you know, give none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the church of God. That's, that's basically what he's teaching here, except he's thinking just on the Jews in this. Where Paul, you know, he expanded that. and was like, you know, let's not, let's not offend any of these groups. We want to win these people. So these instructions for the Gentiles were not so they could be saved, but instructions for them as members of a church. Now, I do not believe that we necessarily have the right to just go making up new reasons or new sins that will get people thrown out of church. But I do believe that the apostles had the authority to do this kind of thing. They had the authority to come up with these kind of instructions. And you know what? We are still under apostolic authority. And I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. Why are we under apostolic authority in this church? Because we have a group of apostles still out there that we've appointed? No, 
because we have their writings. So when we'll, so you know what we do when we're going to figure out who we're going to throw out of the church? We look at who Paul said we should throw out of the church. We look at who, we'll look at what the apostles said in the writings of the scriptures and say, you know what, we're going to practice that too. And that's exactly what we should do. But I don't believe we should go making up new things. I think we need to stick with what the apostles did. I think that's, I think that's very, very important. And so we are, we are under apostolic authority. Even though we're not like that, what's that one apostle, that United Pentecostal black preacher? This, yeah, Geno Jennings, Apostle Geno Jennings, okay? All right, as funny as that guy is and as entertaining as he had to watch, he's not an apostle. And you know what? He can come and try to tell us whatever he wants. We're not going to listen to him, okay? He's, he's, not, he's a fake apostle. And I wish he was for real because he's pretty funny sometimes, especially when he gets going on the homos. But uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we do not recognize his authority, <laughs> and I'm afraid he's not saved. But anyway, another subject for another day. But again, you know, so again, not everything about the New Testament church, because they are they're establishing these things now. Not everything was immediately established at the resurrection of Christ. Something took took years to figure out, and right now we're roughly 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. It took 20 years for him to get to this point. Now, thankfully, it took several years before this heresy started creeping in. But, you know, again, that's what happens over time. New heresies come. And you know what you got to do? You got to fight it. And, you know, we've got to add more distinctions all the time. And over time, too, eventually the church splits. And you have all these new sects and religions and things form. And it's really confusing now because it's been around for 2,000 years. And there is so much stuff out there. And, uh, you know, back then... Things were a little simpler in some ways, but at the same time, we still have the same problems. But the same Bible will still work. Verse 22, Then pleased that the apostles and elders and with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. And so notice how the apostles, they quickly and they publicly admitted that these guys who were not saved, they admitted, yet these guys, they were sent out by us, but what they told you, we never approved. These guys, what they were telling you, they came up with that themselves. And let me tell you, as a church, if we send someone out and they turn out to be a heretic, you know what we should do? We should call it out. We kind of have a responsibility, especially if they're sent out by us. We send out, you know, we lay hands on somebody, we send them out, or we, have, we start a satellite church or something like that, and he starts preaching some heresy. Yeah, we sent that guy out, but we never... We never told him to preach that. He didn't learn that here. I don't know where he got that. He didn't learn it here. But you know what? He's, they're subverting the hearer. They're wrong. They're out of line. And if we still have any authority over them, you know, we, we exercise that authority. It's like, you know what? You're done. We're, we're shutting this down. And we have the authority to do that. We have the right to do that. And even if they go independent, it can get to the point where we don't have any right maybe. But you know what? We can still call them out. We can still mark them. We can still warn it. We can still warn everybody else. 
the last thing I'm going to want is some heretic out there to have on their website, you know, sent out by Liberty Baptist Church, ordained by Pastor Tommy McMurtry, and then he's out there, you know, acting like Apostle Geno Jennings or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be attached to that. You know, and and I do. We need, we always need to be careful, but sometimes people slip through. These guys put one over on James, and you know, James had a tough job. Again, this church had thousands in it. Okay, let's cut James a little bit of slack. There were thousands of people in this church, but he did the right thing. He corrected it. He didn't hide it. He didn't cover it up. He called it out. So it seemed good unto us. Verse twenty-five, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent them, sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well." So very, they made it very clear, not only are they done with those one guys, but these new guys, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, uh, Judas, these guys, we sent them, they're from us, they will tell you the truth, listen to what they say. And so they, they and I believe they were doing that too, to help Paul and Barnabas. Because again, that's why it's so important if we're going to send somebody out, when a pastor sends somebody out, they ought to be public about it. You know, the, otherwise people might be questioning their authority and it's going to make it difficult for them. And these and James and the apostles there, they did the right thing, making it very clear. We're behind these guys. So these guys, they're not just giving you their opinion because they don't have a Bible back then too. So thankfully, we've got a Bible we can show people today. They didn't have that back then. So they needed something showing we've got the backing of the church in Jerusalem. We have the backing of the apostles. You know what they did? They wrote a letter. They signed their name to it. They had it. Here it is. We've got our credentials. What we're about to tell you guys is true. And this is important because this is about going to heaven or hell. And they told him, you don't have to be circumcised. And you know what? They were glad. So again, we don't, we don't have these councils necessarily we can go to. But thankfully, we do have the Bible. We do have the Bible that we can go to. And we can show you, hey, look, Paul's got our back. Here's what Paul said. Here's what Peter said. We use the Bible. So verse 30 so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So this was good news. It was comforting. And it says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And you know what they were probably doing? Even though they read a letter saying, You don't have to do this. Even though Paul and Barnabas said, you don't have to do this. You know what these guys did? They went and they basically had a conference, a preaching conference showing you don't have to do this. What were they doing? They were going to the law. They were going to the scriptures. They were proving it from the Bible. You say, why would they do that? Well, you know what? Why do we have soul winning conferences? We already know soul winning is right. Why do people have prophecy conferences? Why do we have conferences or, you know, why do we have meetings? Why do we preach about once saved, always saved? We already believe that. You know why? Because we're strengthening that. We want to strengthen these teachings. We want to make sure that you haven't just accepted it, but you know it and that you know it well and that you're ready to defend it. And even if we've already got it figured out, you know what? Here's even more Bible on it. Why? Because we want these doctrines to remain strong. We don't want to just get it just enough so you barely believe it. No, this is throughout the Bible. And so that's kind of what Silas uh, and Judas were for. 
They were just confirming it. They were strengthening it. Just giving proof. Here, here's, you want, y'all want more proof? Here's more proof. That's not enough? All right, we'll preach another sermon tomorrow about it. Show you even more stuff in the Bible. That's what they were doing. So verse 33. And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And now right here in the part of the story is where we're going to see Paul and Barnabas separate. And from the book of Acts, all that we know is that it was because of the situation with John Mark. And while it was probably the main thing um, that we see, you know, there from the book of Galatians, we can actually see there was a little more to it. Okay, there's, a, there's some things that are, there's an event that takes place here in Galatians 2 that we all know about. But this event is not recorded in the book of Acts. But let's go to Galatians chapter 2 because basically this story that we're all familiar with happened during Acts chapter 15. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, which is where Paul and them are, they went there first, but apparently Peter shows up later. He comes to Antioch and look what happens. I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, notice those, that certain, those people he talked about before, they came from James. Why? James was the pastor in Jerusalem. And notice that Peter, he didn't eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So these people who came from the church in Jerusalem, Peter is worried that if they see him not following Jewish practices, that they're going to be mad at him. And, the, and you guys know the story. We don't have time to go through it. The Apostle Paul is like, Peter, what are you doing? You're sending the wrong message to these people. He called them out for it. And let me tell you, even Peter, we see crystal clear here in Galatians chapter 2, he was letting a bunch of sorry church members from Jerusalem influencing him into doing something that he didn't need to do as a Jew. Things he shouldn't have been doing as a Jew anymore. Now, if Paul specifically says in Galatians 2 that a group from James caused Peter to do some things that he shouldn't do, is it a stretch if when we get to Acts chapter 21, I tell you that some of the stuff we see Paul doing, some of the stuff that we see James trying to get Paul to do, that they were wrong in doing that? James was wrong in trying to get Paul to do what he, what he did and taking this Nazarite vow and everything. People bring it up, why is Paul still doing that? He shouldn't have been doing that. And you know what? James is wrong in what he did, that his church was a mess during that time. And you know what? I'm just going to say this right now. I believe Paul was wrong for what he did in Acts chapter 21. And I think I can give sufficient proof for that. I'm not going to do that tonight, but Paul was wrong. Now, just some things too to understand before we get to chapter 21. Again, Peter is a great man of God, but he messed up in the story. Sent a confusing message about salvation. He needed to be rebuked, but he was not unsaved. Okay? The lost men who taught these heresies, we see in this chapter, were sent out by James. James, the first bishop of Jerusalem. James was also a good man and a saved man. But can you? there was probably never a more difficult church to pastor than the church in Jerusalem. And think about it. Persecution was intense there, wasn't it? From other Jews. Also, there were thousands of people in that church. And think about this. All the church members were Jews. Imagine what that was like. And the temple was in Jerusalem. 
So this was, this was a big thing. They've got all these Jews that were attached to that temple. They were attached to their traditions and the things of the law. Imagine trying to pastor in Jerusalem when the temple's right there and these people still kind of love all that stuff and are attached to that stuff. Folks, that would be a nightmare. What a nightmare that would have been. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to cut them some slack on the mistakes they made. But let me tell you, we shouldn't take a horrible situation and where the apostles made some mistakes and then use that to justify doing Jewish practices that Christians shouldn't be doing. There's no way we should do anything like that. But people will go to Acts chapter 21 and justify all kinds of Jewish practices that are done, that are finished that we should have nothing to do with and they shouldn't have had anything to do with. But they didn't fully understand it yet. Again, God gave them some grace. God gave them some mercy. God, but folks, at this point, we're still, we're still struggling with this. I understand why they struggled with it back then. They used to actually be required to go to the temple and do all these things. We've never been required to do these things and yet you're still going to be tempted to go to that? What is wrong with you? That's crazy. But you know what? It's important we know these things. Otherwise, they'll put one over on you from chapters like chapter 21. So Peter himself literally allowed himself to do something he didn't even really believe in to try to make the Jews happy. And you know what? I think Paul kind of did the same thing in chapter 21. And I don't like you saying anything negative about Paul. Listen, Paul will always outdo me in every area, but Paul was not Jesus Paul was not perfect. Paul made some mistakes. Paul went against messages that people gave him from the Holy Ghost. We're going to see before the, everything goes down in Acts 21. So verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city which we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, confirming the churches. And you'll notice, too, that when in Galatians 2, when it talks about the stuff that was going on with Peter, it says in verse 13, another Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. So this foolishness that guys like Peter was getting caught up in, that the Jews were pressuring into, even Barnabas got caught up into it. And Paul, and so I do, I think that contributed to some of the hostility that was going on between Paul and Barnabas and eventually caused them to separate, to separate from each other. And so when he wanted to go back to confirm the churches, he's going back just to check up that everything not to see if they're still saved, but to make sure their doctrines and their practices were still good because he wants the churches to go on. He wants the work to go on. And so the Bible doesn't tell us here who's right and wrong in the situation between Paul and Barnabas, but it is just laying out the details of what happened because Paul and Barnabas were a very big deal in the early church and their work affected a lot of people. Thousands of people were affected by their work. But you know what? Thankfully... Their separation did not mean the end of their ministries because they both went on. They both kept serving God and thank God for that. But something very important we're going to need and we must understand and remember from this chapter 
So when we get to in the book of Acts, it is clear from this chapter that the church in Jerusalem has some real problems. There's some real problems in that church at this point already in the book of Acts. And typically when you have leaven in the church, it only gets worse. And so when we get to chapter 21, we are, I believe we're seeing an even bigger problem. And it causes, it caused a lot of real problems. And it's just one more clear indicator of why the temple had to go. There's no doubt that temple, it needed to go, not just because of, for judgment on the Jews who rejected Christ, but to remove that temptation from the church, from saved Jews, to go back to those things. That was such a hard thing for them. And it was, it was a real battle that they had. But thankfully, and I'm saying thankfully, God took care of it. And the church, historically, they got out of there. Uh, but you know what? According to history, not before James was actually, and you know, James got things right too. James was a safe guy. He was a good guy. He's known historically as James the Just, and he was actually thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. The same place where Satan told Jesus, jump, and Jesus wouldn't give in to the temptation. According to history, James was thrown from there and actually survived the fall, and then somebody threw something at him, I think it was, and killed him with that. You know, Jerusalem, I can't imagine pastoring that church. So again, while they had problems, let's cut James some slack. I would never want to pastor that church. So he's he's a better man than the rest of us. So uh, hopefully this uh, clears a lot of things up. Very interesting chapter. So let's pray, dear Lord. I pray this uh, message was a help. Lord, I pray uh, that these things that we're learning as we go through the book of Acts, I pray it will give us a fuller understanding of your word and just how to apply the things that we read in the scriptures. And Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, making salvation such an easy thing. Help us to never confuse people on this, send the wrong message, but to always be clear uh, that gospel is completely about faith in you. In your name we pray. Amen.